On this Thanksgiving weekend where so many of us go other places and, and then we have relatives and guests coming to us. So if you are a guest with us today, we just want to say thank you for coming and we're glad you're here. We pray that you will be blessed by the worship of our God and, and the reading and proclamation of his word. As you open to Jonah chapter 4, next week we begin Advent. And so... Um, Advent's always an interesting thing. So many of us in our tradition didn't really grow up celebrating Advent at all. And next week we'll start by lighting the first candle. And so you kind of wonder, what do I do with Advent? What's this about? And for the last three or four years, I've been telling you that this is the book that you should get to walk you through Advent. This is a book, uh, it's Reflections from Dietrich Bonhoeffer. If you don't know who Dietrich Bonhoeffer is, he was a fantastic pastor, a German pastor, who uh, lived during the Nazi regime and stood up and said, this isn't right. Uh, he eventually paid for it with his life. And, uh, and, but Dietrich Bonhoeffer is fantastic. If, if anyone understands waiting, as he sat in a, in a prison cell waiting which for eventually his death, uh, he understands it. And that's what Advent is. It's a time of waiting and expectation. So if you're looking for a resource over at the, coffee, the Avenue Coffee Bar over there, you can find a few of these books. Ten bucks if you want, or just take one. We don't care. But um, they're, they're sitting on the counter over there, and, and you can get one after the service. If you have one already from previous years, dig it out again and go through it again. I just really encourage you. I think you'll be blessed by, uh, by this resource. And so keep that in mind as we begin to celebrate Advent together. Okay, Jonah chapter 4. I wanted to fish out as we begin a storybook that has survived six children in my house on the book of Jonah. Uh, and Ben's going to put the, we have some choice slides up here. Uh, this book we got when Nicholas was a, just a, a little one and, and I started reading to it. And for the most part, this book does a pretty good job. Of, I mean, most get the story just completely wrong. For the most part, this does okay. You can see here from, from the first uh, picture that Ben's going to put up there is, you know, it starts out a long time ago. God said to Jonah, go help my people. We, uh, okay, close enough. All right, we'll just call it good enough. Uh, and then it said next picture, Jonah didn't want to obey God. He ran to a boat going far away. In my family, we have actions that go with every story. It's very interactive in our page. So if you see my family over here doing the actions, you'll understand. But as you keep going through the book, a big storm came, boom, crash. This is a lot of fun with a kid, right? And you know, hey, it's doing all right. And then we'll skip uh, forward a few pages. Eventually they throw Jonah overboard. Yeah, all right, we're tracking with him. There's a whole bunch of pages where Jonah goes down, down, down into the water and there's fish and fun things like that. But eventually a big fish comes and the fish opens its mouth and swallows Jonah. You know, the book gets it right. It's a fish, not a whale, although it looks like a whale. But anyway, who knows what the, the fish looked like. We keep reading. Jonah's in the fish. He gets vomited out on the shore. And you can see this. Jo Jonah then says, I will obey you. Well, yeah, okay, maybe. And then the last part where the book ends, this is how the book ends. And Jonah obeyed God the rest of his life. Wait, what? No, you left stuff out. I always get angry when I get to this part. This is not how the story ends. Jonah is not such a hero. Jonah handles this very poorly. And this is what we're going to enter into today. Jonah chapter four, we see Jonah pout. This is the pouting chapter where Jonah gets the Ninevites. God 
causes them to repent. They repent and Jonah's not happy about it. He's going to sit here and pout for this entire chapter. And he is going to eventually basically tell God, I think you screwed up. God, I think you got it wrong. And I think you did something wrong. And Jonah is going to be angry with God. Imagine this, if you would, with me. Imagine uh, an FBI director had in his office the world's most wanted criminal on his list. Imagine this guy was a terrorist. And for some reason, they they haul this guy in to speak with the director personally. And And this number one criminal, this terrorist who's killed multiple people, who's put the security of our government at risk, who's made it his number one job to overthrow our government. Imagine the director of the FBI, after asking him a few questions, says, okay, you can go now. What? The, 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 the guards that are watching this guy say, wait, wait, what? Yeah, you can go. Just let him go. Imagine they just let him walk out of the FBI office. He says, you know, I'm just going to take your name off the list. And, and you'll be free. All the charges are dropped. No one's going to be, just go ahead. Just go. Just go free. You're fine. Essentially, the government of the United States of America let him off the hook. Do you think in this make-believe scenario... <laughs> That there might be an outcry? (laughs) Do you think there might be a media report? A scandal? Do you think that Kenneth Starr would be hired to look into this, right? I mean, what is going on, we would say? A scandal. Today in Jonah chapter 4, from Jonah's perspective, this is exactly what Jonah thinks that God has done. It's exactly what he thinks. He thinks that God forgave public enemy number one. Of God's people, God forgave at the end of chapter 3, the Ninevites. And Jonah is not happy about this at all. He's questioning everything he knows that God has done. And he's questioning the character of God. We're going to learn some things today about Jonah. But more importantly, the Bible always tells us stories to teach us not about a character or a person. The Bible tells us these accounts of things that happened so we can learn something about God. And what we're going to learn today is that God is relentlessly seeking to give compassionate mercy on human beings. He's relentlessly seeking to give this compassionate mercy on human beings, even if it means taking a risk and letting evil persist in the world. That is how relentlessly God is pursuing giving of mercy and grace. Even if it means letting evil persist in the world. Wait, 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 Dave, you say, hold on. You mean God would risk the safety of the entire world to grant mercy and forgiveness to people he created? Yes, that's, that's what I'm saying. And this is shocking. It's really a scandal of cosmic proportions. Has God done something wrong in allowing the Ninevites to be forgiven? It's a scandal of grace. And the lengths to which God stretches to extend compassion on the children that he created is so great that from our perspective, it seems like a scandal. God's grace is scandalous. 
This is our fourth week in this, in this uh, series on Jonah. Next week, we're going to launch into our Christmas series, Great Expectations, which is going to be fantastic as we look at the coming of the Messiah through the lens of those who foretold his coming. But for now, as we wrap up Jonah, I want to remind you that the question we've been asking for four weeks is this. How do you respond when God doesn't do what you expect him to do? As Jonah interacted with God in the four chapters, we saw four things. The first thing we saw is that Jonah ran. And then the second chapter, we saw that he offered up thanksgiving, although it wasn't enough. The third chapter, we saw he offered up obedience, but it wasn't enough. And today we're going to see his reaction is to pout. We spend sometimes so much time thinking about how God hasn't met our expectations of him. But what if we have the wrong expectations? If our hearts haven't turned to reflect God's heart, then we will have the wrong expectations because we're valuing the wrong things. And that describes Jonah in a nutshell. So chapter one, you remember, let me just bring you up to speed. The Assyrians were really, really bad people. I mean, these were the terrorists of the known world at the time. And, uh, and the Israelites, because the Assyrians even tormented them, Nineveh was the capital of Assyria. Because the Ninevites, the Assyrians were tormenting the Israelites, they wanted God to show up and punish the Ninevites. But in Jonah chapter 2, we saw that in Jonah 1, Jonah ran from God because he didn't want any part of this forgiving the Ninevites. So he ran from God. And of course, you know the story. He gets thrown overboard to save the sailors and he gets to the bottom and a fish comes and scoops him up and saves him. In chapter 2, he offers up a prayer of thanksgiving. In chapter 3, he does it. He goes begrudgingly and does what God wants him to do. And at the very end of it, it works. It's shocking. It says... Uh, when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, we're in the last verse of chapter 3, he had compassion and did not bring upon them the destruction he had threatened. And we are leaving at this point, and we're going to see that God works differently than you and I do today. He wants to give grace even when it appears to be at the risk of letting evil persist in the world. God's grace is scandalous. And it's not that God has done something wrong, but something we misunderstood about him. Bad things happen when we misunderstand God. Today, I want you to entertain the simple idea. Maybe you've misunderstood God. Can you just process that question, enter into a place where you think, maybe I have misunderstood God. And when we misunderstand God, we're going to see a few things happen today from Jonah chapter 4. The first thing that happens when we misunderstand God is that we become angry. We become angry. Listen, Jonah has been through a lot. He's been through this storm at sea. He's been at the bottom. He's been rescued by a fish. He's been vomited on the shore. He's been reluctant to go, but he went to Nineveh. He preached. He gets done. And now he's done preaching and he's ticked and he's angry. Look at verse 1 of chapter 4. Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. Literally, this translates, our, our versions kind of try to help us along a little bit. Literally, this translates to Jonah, it was an evil, a great evil, and he was angry. Wow, wait a minute. 
Did Jonah just accuse God of doing evil? He did. He just accused God of doing evil. To Jonah, it was evil what God had done. What's more, the word angry here for Jonah means to burn with anger. Jonah is ticked. What's the angriest you've ever been? I'm going to take you to a dark place today, right? What's the angriest you've ever been? Think about the person to whom you were most angry and you burned inside. Maybe it was a friend, a relative, a city official, a judge, a criminal, someone who took you to court, just some friend who offered loyalty to you and then took it back. I don't know. Imagine the person to whom you were the most angry and it burned inside of you. However you've been at your angriest, that's how Jonah feels toward God. He is willing to say, I'm burning with anger because God, in having compassion towards the Ninevites, did an evil, a great evil. He's saying, God, how could you do this? He's so ticked. Nineveh was the capital of Assyria. Assyria had tormented the Israelites, God's people. They had threatened, they had brutally, brutally executed countless thousands of people across the world. They threatened Jonah's country. They had committed such evil that to let evil go unpunished seemed to be evil in and of itself to Jonah. And he's saying, God, how could you do this to me? <laughs> What's more, he's going to say, I knew that you would do this. I knew it. Look at verse two. Oh Lord, he prayed to the Lord in verse two. Oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? This is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish because I knew that you're a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in love and kindness, a God who relents from sending calamity. Wow. Okay, so Jonah is accusing God of evil because he knew in advance what his character was. He knew that God was a God who was slow to anger, abounding in love and compassion. And he knew that God probably was going to forgive these horrible people. Jonah's in a really bad place. What, what Jonah says about God here, you have to go back to the book of Exodus to understand that this phrasing had a history with Jonah's people, the Israelites. In Exodus chapter 34, we see this. Moses is standing before the Lord and, and up on the mount. And the Lord came down. This is in, in the incident where the Ten Commandments were given. And Moses is up on Mount Sinai. And God's going to pass in front of Moses. And, and Moses is going to have this incredible experience with the living God. And, and the, the Lord came down in a cloud and stood there to Moses and proclaimed his name. The Lord. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. This description that Jonah uses of God has, has its inception 700 years earlier when Moses is standing before God. For 700 years, this phrasing had been passed down from Israelite to Israelite about who their God was. Jonah knew this was God's character. Gracious and compassionate. I mean, he's just those are the first two things that this passage lists. God doesn't give people what they deserve. He's quick to lavish his presence and goodness on us. It's a slow to anger. Isn't this the exact opposite of Jonah right now? 
And Jonah knows it, the irony of it. Jonah's burning with anger against God, who he knows is slow to anger. He's abounding in loving kindness. This is this great Hebrew word, hesed, which means at its core, a love based on loyal relationship. This is who God is, abounding in these things. Jonah forgets that God just had these exact same qualities on Jonah. He, have you ever had a situation where you couldn't look at yourself and what God was doing and God, the mercy God had had on you, but you were quick to give judgment on other people? That's Jonah right now. This same God who was gracious and compassionate and quick to forgive and filled with loving kindness and slow to anger. God had just done all those things to Jonah for goodness sakes. Jonah ran because said God. And now Jonah's accusing God of doing evil. We want to be not like Jonah, but like God. I want to be a man who is slow to anger. I want to, I long to be transformed and known more and more as a man who is slow to anger, not one who erupts in anger. I'll never forget when I was a kid, I remember going up to my grandmother's house in a rural town in Northeast Iowa. And when we would be up there, my grandma loved to can things. She was always, she had a big garden. She was always canning things. And, and I remember uh, the story of my being in the other room and uh, my I probably remember it more through my mom telling me about it. But basically what happened was this. I was in the other room in the kitchen. Grandma was canning things. Uh, I, I heard a bang, a scream, and laughter. <laughs> and so I go in and my grandma had come into the kitchen at the same time I did. And, and what she saw there was on the ceiling of her kitchen. It was covered with beets. The pressure cooker that she was using to can beets somehow erupted and the pressure, it could no longer contain the pressure in there and the beets got thrown up on her ceiling and I have no idea how they clean beets off a ceiling. I got nothing for you. I'm probably it meant repainting, right? But that pressure cooker is supposed to hold the pressure in and yet at some point it could no, it failed, it could no longer contain it. You ever feel like that? Like you do good at, burying your anger for a while at people when injustice is done to you. But then, if you're anything like me, all of a sudden you can take it no longer. Boom! Wrath comes out. God is slow to anger. Sometimes hundreds of years slow to anger. I mean, we think we hold it for a week and we're doing good, right? God held his anger for hundreds of years. It's his character. I want to be like that. I don't want to be angry. But when we misunderstand what God is doing, sometimes we're not only quick to get angry with people, but we're quick to get angry with God. Do you erupt in anger like a, go- a geyser? You and I should be slow to anger. And especially with God. Jonah admits that he's just the opposite of God. He's angry because God is not angry. Look at verse three. Now, O Lord, get ready for some melodrama here, all right? Now, O Lord, take my life, for it's better for me to die than to live. Oh, I mean, drama class 101, right? Like you just see this drama overflowing. 
Jonah's just mad because he proclaimed to all these Ninevites that they were going to get toasted and God didn't do what he told them that he was, that Jonah said. And Jonah's embarrassed. He's mad. In a shame culture, he, he'd rather die. I mean, it's kind of like, uh, in, I think in verse 3, it's like when you say, I'm so hungry, I could eat a horse. I mean, I'd like to see you try to eat a horse, right? You couldn't do that. I kind of feel like that's what Jonah's doing here. And maybe he's just embarrassed. I don't know. Either way, Jonah doesn't care. Very clearly, he does not care about the Ninevites. He's angry. I mean, he's like a teenager, right? Just angry. Exploding with emotion towards God. Look at verse 4 now. But the Lord replied, Have you any right to be angry? (laughs) Have you any right to be angry? And you're going to notice that Jonah doesn't answer the question. Have you any right to be angry? This brings up a good question for us. Is it okay for you and I to be angry with God? Is that all right? I've heard it said, and I've said this before, if you're angry with God, you should just tell him anyway because he knows it. You might as well just be honest with him. And I do understand the sentiment of that, and I'm, certain times I have told people that. But the more I think about it, the more I question whether we should be angry with God. Because essentially, when you're angry with someone, you are declaring that they did something wrong. We are declaring, if we're angry with God, that he has done something evil. I'm not so sure that's a good idea. It didn't work out so well for Jonah. I mean, what would we dare lecture God? I mean, you're angry because you think he's done something wrong. Has he really? To be angry assumes that God has done evil. He cannot. It is not in his character as a holy, perfect God. He cannot do evil. So to declare to God, I'm angry at you because you've done something wrong, declare something you know in your heart that is not true. Do you really want to accuse the almighty, all-powerful, holy God of sinning. That's essentially, in a very calm way, God tells this to Jonah. Verse 5, Jonah doesn't answer God. Instead, he goes out and he sits down at the place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in the shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. So Jonah goes out and he makes this really makeshift tent out of branches. I mean, it's like a really bad shelter from the hot sun. And he says, you know what? Fine. God answered, asked me a hard question. I'm not answering it. I'm going to my room. I'm going to go pout. And so Jonah goes out to the side of the city where we see he's probably overlooking the city and he's kind of waiting. Like maybe God will listen to me. Maybe God will agree with me that He did evil, and maybe God will, after all, scorch these people. And I don't know what he was waiting for, right? You know, I I don't know if he's waiting for fire from heaven, like a Sodom and Gomorrah thing, or maybe he's thinking the ground will open up and the city will just fall down into it, or like maybe he's thinking an asteroid will come, or 
aliens from the future with lasers. I don't know what he's thinking, right? To, to, but he is waiting for God to cast judgment on these people. And he's hoping that God will say, yeah, I was wrong. I did something bad and evil. You're right, Jonah. But God, it's not like that. God's grace is scandalous. And Jonah can't come to terms with how an almighty God could let evil like the Ninevites exist unpunished. It's a scandal that a just God would not be just. And Jonah is now outside the city waiting for this. He's waiting for God to say, hey, I'm sorry. You're right. Jonah misunderstands God. He's angry. There's a second thing that happens when we misunderstand God. Not only do we become angry, but the second thing that happens is we become blind. We become blind to God's working. Think about this. We become blind to God's mercy when we misunderstand him. This compassionate and just God had just had mercy on Jonah. The fish saved Jonah from death. God didn't have to do any of that, but he extended his mercy to Jonah. And Jonah is completely blind to this right now. God's provision. He's blind to God's provision. Now we get into some cool stuff in the passage where we start to see words repeated. When words are repeated in the text, we should stop and go, hmm, maybe the author is making a point for us here. I want you to see this in verse 6, and you see these ideas being repeated. We're going to see the idea of God's provision repeated over and over. It'll say the Lord provided or the Lord appointed, depending on your text. And there will define, there is a definite cause of this verb that affects the recipient in this text. And so Jonah, in, in chapter 4, this word is used three times. And overall in the book of Jonah, this word provision or appointed is used four times. The first time we see it is in chapter 1, verse 17. The Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah. Or the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah. Okay, keep going. Look at verse 6 of chapter 4 now. Go back to our text. The Lord God provided a vine and made it grow up over Jonah to give him shade for his head and to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the vine. So Jonah's out there waiting for God to do something. He's sitting in this hot sun, a little bit miserable because his makeshift tent isn't that great. And God provides a vine to grow up in the shade. Now, how did this happen? The text doesn't really tell us. We can guess that, you know, maybe it was already there and Jonah discovered it. Or maybe Jonah, it could have been waiting a long time. And in a long time, this vine grew up. Or maybe it could just be a miracle and whoop, out of the ground grows a vine. I don't know. It doesn't matter. The point is God provided this vine. He provided it. Jonah didn't do anything to make the plant come up. He didn't water it and fertilize it and cause it to grow. Jonah had no part in this. But he fell in love with the comfort that the shade provided. He's very happy with it. Look at verse 7. Continues the text. But at the dawn... But at dawn the next day, God provided. Okay, so first of all, he provided a vine. Now he's going to provide a worm. God provided a worm, which chewed the vine so that it withered. This same word here, 
It was God's vine, now it's God's worm. And this is God's plan. Look at verse 8. The next use, the third use of this word. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind. And the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. God provided, again, an east wind. Why is an east wind? Because Jonah's on the east side of the city. God knows where we are. He knows what we need. And Jonah needs a lesson that only a hot, miserable, horrible heat wave can provide. You see, it's interesting here. Jonah really isn't interested in seeing what God's really like or what he's doing. He's not interested in seeing God's true nature. He wants God to be the God that Jonah wants. You know, God's not really interested. I don't know if you know this. God's not really interested in conforming to your desires of what he should be like. God is going to be who he is. He's not interested in having you shape him and conforming him. He is interested in having us know him for who he really is. You misunderstand God. Are you blind to who what he's really like? The primary shaper, I think, in our culture for defining who we think God is, is now Netflix or TV or whatever. We get our understanding of God primarily. You can't even help it. If you watch any TV, if you exist in our culture in any way, if you read the news at all, you get your primary understanding of who God is most likely from the world, from the media, from Netflix, from TV. That's the primary shaper. And we spend so much time immersed in this that we unknowingly assimilate our understanding of who God should be. And you know what? God doesn't care what you think he should be or believe he doesn't care that what our culture primarily teaches us is that God doesn't care really what you do. Our culture tells us that God will be whoever you want him to be. So the life you have right now is what God wants. Isn't it interestingly enough that most people in our culture think God looks a lot like them. We make God into who we want him to be. We are totally blind to who he really is. And if you don't think for a minute that your opinion of God has been shaped by the world around you, you are just wrong. You are just blind. This is why we must be immersed in this. It's why every single week I hold up this book and read from it. It's why every single week I encourage you to be immersed in this so you know God for who he is, not for who you just want him or think him to be. So God looks like God, not like you. Jonah knows the Bible. Jonah knows Exodus. He knows God's character. But Jonah wants his God to look different. Jonah wants a God who reflects Jonah's demands. And because of this, he misses God's provisions. And you and I are so often blind to what God provides because we don't know who he is. If you're mad at God, you're mad because you're blind. You're blind to what he's really like and what he's really doing. You're missing his provisions in your life. You're blind. <laughs> the provision is a, is a vine to comfort. Or is it a worm to correct? Or a wind to teach? It's all part of God's character of grace to us. 
And it's scandalous. If you don't embrace the fact that you might have misunderstood God, you'll be angry and blind. And this is probably because you and I are self-consumed. And that's the darkest truth about Jonah. We misunderstand God and we become angry, blind. And then the third piece is we become self-consumed. Look at the last part of verse 8. The wind came. Jonah's mad. He grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. This is the second time Jonah has said this. He's really not happy. He's so melodramatic. Now look at God's response. For a second time, God asked the same question. But God said to Jonah, do you have a right to be angry about the vine? I do, he said. I am angry enough to die. This time Jonah answers and it reveals that he's completely self-consumed. And it's blinding him to who God really is. You know, look back at verse 6. I I, I missed something earlier that I want to point out. When the Lord provided the vine, verse 6, and made it grow up over Jonah to give him shade for his head, to ease his discomfort, for the first time in the whole book, Jonah is very happy. (laughs) This is the only... Who cares that over 120,000 people repented and reconnected in repentance to see what God wanted from them. Who cares? Jonah's not happy about that. Jonah's happy because he's comfortable. (laughs) Oh, man. We are Americans here today, and we have our expectations of God. And we expect him, whether we know it or not, to provide for our comfort. Now, God does that, right? He gives Jonah the vine. But there is a whole flock of heretical preachers in our culture that are being exported to the third world now, who say what God exists for is your pleasure. And he will give you like a butler, whatever you want, if you just have enough faith and you just give my ministry enough money, right? Those are the things they're saying. This crap is being exported all over the world. And that is so American of us. God exists for my comfort. God is better than that. You and I, we get so self-consumed. This is why I remind you over and over again. Paul says to us, consider others more important than yourself. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. In humility, consider others more important than yourself. There is a counter-cultural way we live when we are consumed by the grace that Jesus gives. When we understand who God really is, we're not angry or blind or self-consumed because we begin to live like God. See, God is better than just a God that is a butler that does what you want because God gives you what you need and he doesn't give us what we deserve. Aren't you glad that God doesn't give you what you deserve? You and I don't deserve the mercy we receive in the gospel. This simple message that we just sang about. That God would come, a holy God would come to us. That in the person of Christ, he would allow his created beings to stretch out his arms and crucify him. That he, for our sins, would take all of them 
on him on the cross and giving us a forgiveness that we never deserved through faith that we can apply this to our lives to experience this forgiveness that Jesus didn't stay dead, that he rose victorious. This is a mercy that was given to us and it's really not about us. It's this beautiful piece of the gospel and I'm glad God didn't give me what I deserve. Jonah should see himself in the Ninevites. He should look at them and go, wow, compassionate, merciful God. I'm thankful that God is also compassionate and merciful to me. But Jonah's too busy creating levels of badness. He's got the Ninevites over here that are really bad. And Jonah over here who is pretty darn good. He's a prophet and all, right? And what Jonah doesn't understand is all of those things fall short of God's beautiful, beautiful, holy, perfect character. They all fall short. The point about Jonah is this. God has compassion on him. He's not willing to have compassion on others. Jonah, you and I should see our sin just like Jonah should see his sin is equally as offensive to God. And yet we should bathe in the mercy that he gives. The story continues. The account. Jonah tells him in verse 9, I'm angry enough to die. And then the Lord cuts to the chase. Verse 10. The Lord said, you have been concerned about the vine, though you didn't tend it or make it grow. Sprang up overnight, died overnight. But Nineveh, has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left. And many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about that great city? There's so much here. Uh, in, In verse 10, this word concern appears twice. It's the same word, verse 10. You've been concerned about the vine. The very end of the verse, tw- uh, verse 11, should I not be concerned about the great city? The same word. Oh, this word is so great. This word is a word that reminds us that God has concern or pity. Jonah is concerned, has pity, feels bad about the vine, and God cares about people. God cares deeply. I mean, it even gets hilarious because God says, listen, I even care about the animals that the Ninevites cared about because they mattered to them. Do you remember when they were in chapter three, when the Ninevites were repenting and trying to figure out how to repent, they put on sackcloth and they said, hey, we'll go one up it. We'll even dress our animals in sackcloth just to show how crazy this is, this repentance of ours, right? They express concern. So God expresses concern for that. It's truly amazing. It's just part of God's grace. It's scandalous. He forgives those he he shouldn't forgive. Now, this word concern has in its heart the idea of tears. God cares enough about people that he longs to forgive, and it brings him to tears. Jonah's brought to tears by the disappearance of his comfort. The vine goes away. Jonah's brought to tears by that. God's brought to tears by people. Which one describes you? 
What do you care about that moves you to tears? Is it your comfort? Is it your sense of justice about what God should do? Or is it the people that God cares about that they move you? Which one describes you? In 2015, in one of the mass shootings that has become so common in our culture that we can't even remember them all. But in 2015, Dylan Roof walked into the African Methodist Episcopal Church in Charleston, South Carolina. He went into a Bible study and he sat there for an hour looking at all the people, not saying a word, just looking at him. And after an hour of looking at him, he pulled out his gun and he started just shooting them. And at the time, in 2015, no one really knew why. They didn't know if it was terrorism or racism. But what was interesting is Dylan had to appear in court via video camera because he was in a maximum security. And one by one, the family members, people who attended that church, stood up in court and offered forgiveness to him. Here's what Anthony Thompson, the grandson of 59-year-old Myra Thompson, said on behalf of his family. We would like to take this opportunity, excuse me, we would like, as he was speaking to Dylan, we would like you to take this opportunity to repent. Repent, confess, give your life to the one who matters most, Christ, so he can change your ways no matter what happens to you, and you'll be okay. Every time I read about forgiveness like that extended, there is someone who gets the heart of God. Justice says God should fry him. These people prayed for repentance in him, that God would save him. So what is it for you? What do you think God should do in your life? Do you misunderstand him? Are you angry? Are you blind? Are you just self-consumed? Or, or, would you repent and fall on the grace of Jesus and ask, Lord, break my heart for the things that break yours. Let me see things through your eyes, not my own. Help me to know who I am. Take my anger and replace it with the heart of God. See, when God doesn't meet your expectations, your expectations are probably wrong. And you and I need to have our hearts transformed by him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it's, hard, it's impossible to read Jonah without being deeply convicted. And I repent in my own self-righteousness. And I ask for me, Lord, that you would change me and make me and give me the heart of Christ. Give me that kind of heart that loves the things you love. Break me. 
In Jesus' name, amen.